0: Venture capital funding is not just for tech startups. Welcome to the Small Business and Entrepreneur podcast. Today we're here to debunk the myths and reveal the secrets of securing venture capital. I am your host, Craig Murray, and today we've got an amazing guest, Simeon Burnett, and he is the founder of Snowball Effect. Snowball Effect have raised about $42 million of capital over the last four years, and they've got 50,000 investors on their books. This podcast is going to give you insights about what information you need to have ready before you can even get to the venture capital funding stage, the length of time, the types of organisations and the probability of whether or not you are suitable for VC funding. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Simeon into the stream and we're going to get cracking.
1: Gilda how are you? Good day well, Craig, how are you?
0: I'm awesome man, I'm awesome. As always, I'm um, recording this one from the centre of the North Island in Otorua. Whereabouts in the country are you? In Auckland. Up in Auckland. Auckland, yeah. I know we've only got a short amount of time, so we've got 35 minutes, so I want to crack into questions straight away. And the very first question I ask every single person is, what was your first ever paid job? Like, I'm talking pocket money.
1: Way back, not way back. Yeah, I think if we're talking... (laughs) Just pocket money stuff. It would have been kind of the usual, uh, you know, duties around home, getting a couple of bucks a week, and you kind of have something on a whiteboard, and you go through and tick it off. And at the end of the week, if you if you've done your duties, you get your probably in my day kind of three or four dollars or whatever it was. Um, so that was probably the the first kind of paid inverted commas job. I think kind of the first proper paid where I was paying paye and was probably two jobs, I think. It was probably when I was 15, maybe 16, uh, I used to do the dishes um, at a place in Christchurch called Cashmere Working Men's Club. Um, mm-hmm. They had a restaurant there. They used to host uh, the Sydney Rugby Club, which is one of, the, sort of the, the main clubs in Christchurch, and I would do the dishes out the back. Um, and that would sort of be Friday, Saturday nights, so and then on Sunday, I would work at McDonald's. So... Um, mm-hmm sort of spend a Mm -hmm. lot of my weekend working. Um, Not that that stopped me from going out or anything, but at least gave me a little bit of coin to go and do something with.
0: Mm. Very good. So can you take us past your McDonald Workerman's Club days into your sort of your, where you you grew up, what schools you went to, and then how you ended up being a co-founder of Snowball Effect?
1: Sure thing. Uh, So I grew up in Christchurch. I was in Christchurch, uh, for the first 22 odd years of my life, primarily. And mm-hmm. I went to, for high school at least, I went to a school called Middleton Grange, which I think when I started there, it was a private school and became co-integrated, I think is the term they used. And partway through my, my time there, and um, I went from, from school, had a gap year, uh, then went to Canterbury University for three years. Uh, did some time there, started off studying economics and law, uh and then after a year of law decided to kick that to touch uh picked up finance ended up um, cross-crediting everything down to otago university sort of finished up um, my economics degree at otago uh, and picked up post-grad finance uh at otago university Spent a few years down there so all in all probably spent way too much time at, at university um getting qualifications that i i thought would be particularly necessary and important, um, and in some ways they kind of were. You know, my um, my qualifications actually got me my first job at Fonterra in the corporate finance team. Um, my manager there, he liked the fact that I'd sort of done the same degree that he had, at least that's what he told me. Um, mm-hmm. So in some ways I sort of feel like um, a bit of that time was was justified. Um, but, yeah, kind of started corporate finance, Fonterra, sort of went to corporate strategy, Uh, did a bunch of stuff with offshore farming so at the time Fonterra was very focused on building pools of milk in uh, developing countries so countries like China, Brazil, India, uh, Indonesia, Sri Lanka were all countries that we looked at. Um, Fonterra did do some stuff in some of those countries Um, so I was in that role for probably through that team at least for probably three years and then finished up in a, in a team that was called Commodity Risk and Trading. So that was all about um, managing Fonterra price risk. So when they were selling commodity products, so hummock butter, skim milk powder, butter, so on and so forth. Um, they're selling them in the market and um, obviously the price risk. So they might be selling them for future delivery in, say, 12 months' time. And there's a risk that prices go through the roof and they've ended up selling stuff. Um, in advance of that so I was just using financial markets to help manage that price risk so a um, bit of a reader's digest kind of um, overview of my of my working career but, but hopefully that kind of gives you a bit of a sense of, of what I got up to mm-hmm. and um, it was at Fonterra that I met uh, my two other co-founders so Francis Reed and Richard Allen uh, we got together we looked at Sort of um, well. First of all, we worked together, so that's how we kind of knew each other. Knew we kind of got on well. Had different skill sets, and um, sort of wanted to do something together outside of Fonterra. Um, I think one of the the things that we sort of realised was sort of getting involved with kind of young, growing Kiwi businesses that were doing something new or different or innovative. It was a bit of a challenge, and if you wanted to invest in some of those businesses, um, hmm. that was also a bit of a challenge. You probably had to be a member of a of an angel club or something like that, which sort of physically meant you had to go along to different events. Um, obviously there's kind of, unless you've got, um, you know, a, a decent degree of of wealth um, to start to plug into those sorts of things um, with some of the minimum investments. Um, it kind of excludes a lot of people from, from being able to do it. There's obviously regulation around it as well. Um, so we started to investigate you know, how could you make it simpler for people to invest in companies? How could it, make it be easier for companies to, to raise capital? Um, so on and so forth. So that was kind of the, the nucleus for it. Um, at the same time, um, New Zealand regulations. So the financial markets were going through kind of a complete overhaul of, of the regulation of governance around them. Um, and one of the things that got sort of put in the last minute was regulations around equity crowdfunding. And one of the, the big changes uh, that happened, at least from our perspective, um, was the inclusion of the equity crowdfunding regulations uh, that got put into the, uh, the overhaul of the Act. Um, it was a bit of a last minute thing it lent uh, quite heavily on UK regulations. Um, but anyway, it sort of opened up a, a, a window, if you like, for uh, people to be able to invest more freely into to young growing companies in New Zealand. Um, so that's, that's kind of a bit of a background in terms of how we got going, um, I guess my background in terms of what I came from. I didn't come from sort of a capital markets background. Um, and yeah, kind of how the idea just spawned into to what we are today. Hmm.
0: So can you give our audience a bit of an overview of exactly what Snowball Effect does And maybe just an example of a couple of, doesn't need to be specific about the actual business, but how you can help a business propel themselves forward. And and sometimes some of the pitfalls of what people think you might be getting yourself into that is sometimes not always true.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, so from a company's (laughs) perspective, what we do is we provide them options around how they raise capital. We've got a network of, Around about fifty thousand investors, some of whom have invested through our platform, some who have yet to invest through our platform, but who have an interest in in getting exposure to to young, generally private companies that we're working with. And so maybe just to step back for a second, you know, what we offer via our platform is is obviously from an investor's perspective exposure to to private companies, so where they can kind of build a portfolio of of young companies that they think have some sort of um, future and ability to kind of generate some decent returns for them, and um, as well as some funds as well. So we'll, we've got relationships with a number of different funds here in New Zealand, but also offshore as well. Um, so it's a nice, simple way for people to get exposure to sort of international VC, private equity, or investing directly themselves into private companies here in New Zealand. Um, but that's just maybe a bit of a bit of a cipher on on what the platform does and from an investor's perspective from the company's perspective as i said it's really about providing options for raising capital most people know us largely because of the public rounds that we do where a company will allow pretty much anyone in new zealand over the age of 18 to to invest and it you know you might be able to invest from a little to a thousand bucks so it's a nice cheap kind of entry point for people to start to get exposure to what is. You know, a reasonably high-risk asset class. Um, so that's that's kind of around giving people the opportunity to sort of dip the toes in the water. Um, and for some of the companies, that works really well. It's a it's a great way for them to market. It's obviously you know a great way to 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 raise capital for the business um, going out to a wide audience like that. Um, if they've got a customer base that they may want to bring on as part of their shareholder base, uh, have that that loyalty, that brand ambassador type experience. Um, but other companies, you know, they'll be less suitable for that kind of broad range, um, sort of highly marketed type offer. Um, and really our goal has been to provide fundraising solutions for different types of companies and being able to guide the company through that capital raising process. I think, you know, for a lot of founders or, or CEOs, you um, it can be a little bit of a case of you know where do you start when it comes to raising capital um, if you haven't done it before it can be a bit intimidating in terms of what questions will investors ask um, mm. you can kind of go into the process quite green about it all um, so our aim really is to kind of make sure companies are ready to talk to investors make sure that they're ready for investors to uh, undertake due diligence um, and as i say provide them options around who they're going to for raising capital. So is it a very wide audience? Or is it a, a smaller number of people who will be writing larger checks, uh, maybe getting actively involved with the business, sitting on the board, that kind of thing? Or is it a combination of all of those? Um, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a matter of picking one or the other. <clears throat> so um, that's what we do. So we kind of work as your partner to um, you know get you ready to go out there and have those conversations, uh, to open doors to investors, um, that otherwise you may not be talking to, or at least guide you through those conversations. Um, And ultimately, it's about delivering a successful result for your business. So ideally, it's it's obviously raising the capital. Um, It's also supporting you around getting, if we can, key people involved. Um, So that could be, you know, kind of CFOs, virtual CFOs, directors, um, senior members of staff, you know, as I mentioned, we have a broad network. So we can tap into that for a whole bunch of reasons. It's not necessarily just about raising the capital. It's a a key part of raising the capital, but it's it's clearly not the only thing you need if you're you're going to push on and be successful. So, yeah, I think companies need to think about it as us being their partner to to work with them through and looking at what are their capital raising options and making sure they're ready to go to market and, and putting them in the best position possible to be successful for that capital raise.
0: Let's say I reach out to you. I've got X company, and I go, "Hey, look, I I really want I really need hundred thousand dollars." X person says, "Yep, I'm interested in, in in partnering with you and being a part of your team." In, in return for my um, hundred thousand dollars, I want X amount from your business, or how does how does it work like that?
1: Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll sit down with the company. Generally speaking, we're not working with green startups. Um, So it tends to be more what I call growth stage companies. So the companies have probably done around before. um, Alternatively, some of them may have organically grown, but these days they've probably done around before. um, And they're saying, right, really want to raise, you know, kind of two to five to $10 million. Um, So they're going to raise a a decent chunk of cash and really put the hammer down on a couple of things. Um, So we'll be sitting down with them uh and really working through okay what are you using the capital for um you know what's your what's the history of the business um how have you used capital previously um have you you been a good steward of that capital um and have you spoken to existing investors what are they doing and then kind of just going through a process of making sure that you're telling the correct story and by that just sort of an accurate story around how you're deploying that capital um Oftentimes, companies will come along and, you know, there'll be a a range of things they want to do with the capital. Uh, And part of our job is really just narrowing that down. Um, You know, you do need to be focused, and it's one of the things that investors are looking for, that the founders and companies that are focused and have a clear reason for raising the capital uh, and, you know, really going after stuff that that has got some legs and they've been able to demonstrate has some... Some potential to grow um, and really accelerate their business. Um, so it's really working through uh, a process of, of putting the documentation together, putting the story together, and um, ultimately kind of doing a bit of work on the on the financials. If the if the company doesn't have someone internally supporting them to, to get people on board that can can help them, um, particularly companies that. You know, kind of heavy working capital companies. Um, you know, they need to spend time just to make sure that they really understand what their cash flow requirements are. Are they raising enough money? Uh, you know, you don't want investor capital to be marooned where uh, they've really, really only raised enough for nine months runway or something like that. Um, and all that stuff takes a bit of time. So we would normally probably work with a company for two to three months before they're in market talking to investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds like quite a long time, but, you know, uh, we see a lot of companies out there sort of scratching around trying to raise capital alongside sort of their day job, um, and that can be challenging. Raising capital is a, is a time-consuming, lengthy process. Um, yeah. We've tried to make it shorter and, and more efficient, but you still do have to commit time to it. Um, but if you team up with a, a partner to kind of do that work for you, it allows you some flexibility to actually focus on the business and continue to grow your business, run your business, um, as well as uh, raising capital at the same time. So you don't have to put the whole business on hold while you run off and spend six or nine months trying to do a capital raise.
0: <laughs> sort of like what you see on the movies, you know, where, where one person is just off trying to, trying to do things and, and left, left, um, one of the co-founders or found or, or key personnel, do to do all the mahi back at the office.
1: Exactly. Hey,
0: what's um other some of the factors investors look at when evaluating a startup and entrepreneur? So using my dad's terms, are they backing the jockey or or is it the or is it the horse?
1: Yeah, I think and it depends how early you're talking, but I think you know, the, the earlier you are, the more it's the jockey. Um, <laughs> you know, um sort of the the a jockey with the with the b idea or if you're talking with a or big great idea with a mm. if you're talking a really early stage company you know it does tend to be about the people and it tends to be about the people for quite a long time um you know people that are have got the focus um got the drive got the determination to to kind of push these things through uh you know running growing a company it's it's not easy um running growing a successful company even harder so uh, you know, you need people that have got that persistence and perseverance, um, but you know that can commercially get stuff done as well. Um, you know, you need to be able to, to execute on on strategy, execute on plans, um, to sort of pivot and move if, if the market changes. Um, so it is particularly for for younger companies, but I to a degree say for any company, it is very much around the people.
0: What are some of the things? Let's say, for example, if I'm starting up a business today. And then i know that in the future i'm going to need x amount of dollars to help propel the business the way that needs to move what sort of things so for a listener out there who might be that person in real life what sort of things should they be thinking about now to ensure that they've got the documentation the governance and everything ready in advance so when they come to you the the pathway is a lot smoother quicker
1: yeah i think as I mentioned before, just having a really clear plan on where you're taking the business and narrowing your focus down to kind of two or three uh, key things that you want to execute on over the next 18 months or so. Um, now, a lot of businesses that we see, and you know, sort of find it myself, even in our business, you know, you just try and bite off too much. Um, and probably the most time I've spent. Uh, running Snowball, effect, I think, mean, in some ways, the less I've, I've tried to do, um, where you just sort of sometimes you just a case of needing just to focus on the core part of the business. And that's all you focus on. You're not trying to do these new funky things. You just focus on the core part and just executing well there. Um, or there might be one or two initiatives that you're working on throughout the, the course of 12 or 18 months. And um, I think having that focus and being able to kind of execute year on year is a, is a, is a, is a big selling point for an investor. Um, Mm. So to be able to demonstrate that you can do quite a bit with whatever it is that you've had um, leading into a capital raise, if it's been organic growth, that's great. If you've been able to raise around or chosen to raise around and been able to execute on that, that's great as well. So I think kind of having a history of being able to deliver on what you set out to do um, always stands you in good stead. In terms of documentations and that sort of thing, You know, shareholders agreement, governance agreements, that sort of thing, they'll tend to evolve over time. So what may be suitable for your your first round, say for example, shareholders agreement, probably is going to change quite a bit by the time you get to your second and your third round. Um, Different investors at different stages are going to want to see different things. So I think um, sort of less less focus on that. Um, And it tends to be kind of time and place that you'll update those documents to suit whatever that next stage of capital is that you're you're going after, um, but I think you know spending a bit of time just kind of writing it down is is always useful. Um, you know, certainly if you if you're wanting to talk to investors, um, you know, putting that that pitch deck together, I think trying to present it to someone else uh, before you go out there and start talking <laughs> to investors, someone who knows what they're looking at, so you know, a friendly investor or something like that. Um, because it can be one of those things that sort of doing it yourself can be a bit like writing your own CV, it it can be a little bit difficult to to really highlight the key parts. It's always, um, better to get someone else to to do it and sort of bring to the forefront the, the stuff that you might take for granted, um, or that you don't think is important. So yeah, I think, you know, kind of having that, that plan, um and being able to, to demonstrate a, a history of execution is, is
0: pretty key. So when you are just talking there, my mind instantly went to sort of like a shark tank scenario where the, where the founder is is trying to explain to the potential investors why it's a good decision to to, to back them, let's say. Sometimes the person who's the founder is not the right person to be um s- showcasing the brand is it is that something that you you work with them or is it sometimes the founder is just not that person who's going to sell it and to say here's the, the guy over there or the lady over there is the person that's actually the founder I'm just here to talk on behalf of them
1: yeah I think you sort of want to get people who are experts in the area area presenting and <coughs> it's obviously ideal if, if the founder or CEO or managing director whoever it is the key people behind the business you know can present well some people obviously need more practice than others um, but yeah you know you'll you'll sometimes get someone who is a technical founder and they're leading the business and as you sort of move into commercialization phase you need to get other people to sort of pitch that part of the business so being able to demonstrate a, a strong team is always really good uh, from an investor's perspective so you kind of know that that key person risk to an extent is, is mitigated and by having other strong people around the business who are who are experts in whatever part of the business that they're involved with. Mm,
0: understood. Should be the same for all parts of your business, right? You get an accountant to do the count stuff. <laughs> you get the exactly. brand team to do the brand stuff, and then you get someone to help you out doing the um, doing the fundraising, which is where you guys would come in into play. Where you, like you said at the beginning, you walk alongside them um, through the whole process to help them ensure that they've got a better. A chance of success, let's say.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, kind of our, our goal is to work with companies over multiple rounds and you know have that relationship mm-hmm. where they're coming back for their third, fourth round. Uh and and you know we've got a, a good understanding of the business. We've got, as I mentioned, good relationships with the people. And it makes it a lot easier, makes it a lot faster for that company to kind of move on through the gears of, of capital raising once they've established that relationship. And and take away um a lot of that kind of time pressure and um and resource that, that needs to go in internally for a company raising capital
0: what type of companies or businesses are not probably suitable for to work alongside you like is it the tradies and things like that where they're looking to expand or or is it is there no set model it's whether or not the business makes sense for an investor to, to help you along the way with?
1: Yeah, that's right. I and mean, we're pretty open minded around the kinds of businesses that, that we work with. We have a, a very broad, a very large, broad array of investors that, that we have in our network. And, you know, we are looking for, for growth stories, though. And mm. some of the businesses, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, but, you know, a lot of businesses, it's really um, about building the, the founder. Of, effectively a salary. Um, So there's no real equity value being generated in the business. Um, Mm. But That could be someone who's, you know, just set up a business, uh, you know, take a simplistic example of someone set set up a consultancy business uh, and they kind of go, well, maybe if I bring in a bit of cash, I could hire someone and um, bring in some more revenue. That kind of business is is probably not that investable. Um, You know the one probably only looking for a tiny amount of money two um it's not really a business that's likely to generate a whole lot of equity value you know all the value is is the people and the, probably mm. the founder working there and just the relationships that they have with clients um so so things like that not really that investable by external investors particularly passive external investors and um, so you are looking for companies that have got the ability to to scale internationally, whether it be kind of uh, a software company that can sell to international customers, whether it's a company producing a product that is being exported, or at least has a very large market uh, domestically. Things like that where the value of the business is is a lot more than just the the value of the the people that are working within it. Um, Mm. So you are looking at, at those businesses that, you know, could be acquired by someone else in the future um, for a decent sum of cash, um, probably less common in New Zealand, but, you know, in theory could go through for a listing, uh, could be bought out by private equity, something like that. Um, so that's the kind of businesses that that we tend to work with. And in terms of industries, you know, we work with a, a broad array of industries, you know, it can be software, hardware, consumer products. And... Um, tourism uh generally we don't tend to do a whole lot of stuff in, in retail and um, that's always a tough one to get investors into um mm. always exceptions to that rule but as a as a general comment um but yeah like a, a broad array of of companies um, and industries generally we we work with companies that uh as i mentioned before i think have, have kind of demonstrated that they've got some green shoots. you know they're not pre-revenue hey i've got this idea and mm-hmm. um, these are they've maybe got you know a million bucks of revenue something like that kind of got going and um, you know be able to execute on a few things uh, and then it's sort of more of a question is does this business can this business scale up and what does it need to scale up um it could be working with someone like ourselves to to bring investors in Uh, i could be working with with other funding partners um, around new zealand to to do that so you're really in the first instance we're kind of making an assessment of do we think we're the right uh, partner for this company or are there other people that we can point them in the direction of understood
0: so to summarize if you're if you're trading your time for a fee then it's more less likely that someone's going to invest in it unless your time is working towards a big outcome where it could explode and it's not based on your time. It's, it's, it's for, for the outcome of whatever you're working towards. Correct. Is there any sort of notable success stories that you are allowed to sort of discuss that you've worked alongside, or is that sort of not um, spoken about? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm that out there
1: uh, well, you know, people uh, can always just pop along to our website, the yeah. Platform snowballeffect.co.nz and have a bit of a look. We have a little tile up there, which gives a bit of an overview of the companies that we've raised for, how much they've raised, um, kind of a snippet in terms of of uh, the kind of business that they are. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's probably I think the the um, best way for people to get a sense because as I mentioned, we have raised for a, a fairly large variety of companies. So, if you just pop to our website, you'll kind of see and get a sense of who we've raised for, how much we've raised for, and we will give you a bit more of a, of a feel for, for who we work with as well.
0: Cool. So for those listening out there on whatever platform you're on, check in the show notes, and we've got a link back to the website, and then have a look in there, and you'll be able to see who Snowball Effect have been working with and some of their success stories and case studies. I'm assuming they're going to be there. Um, you're going to be at the NZ SME and E-Growth event in Wellington, and along with your team running yes. a workshop. And we had to catch up this morning, so you may not know this. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's sort of going to be about a, a 101 getting ready for an, an investment round, I suppose. So what, what you need to know, what what you need to be, what you what information you need to have in advance. So that's going to be a really cool one to 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 be part of as well. Last question, because I'm conscious of time. On your journey with Snowball Effect, have there been any sort of like massive challenges that you've had to go through as a business? And how did you overcome them?
1: Yeah, I think you know you're sort of dealing with challenges every day, aren't you? Kind of running your own business. I think that's just true of any any business, irrespective of of what you've set out to achieve. Whether you're sort of taking on the world, or um, whether you know you're the the local cafe. I think uh, I think a challenge that everyone can relate to was probably that that sort of first lockdown period. Uh, in 2020 where no one really knew what the hell was going on uh, and you know kind of how life would function, how business would function uh, we were pretty lucky that most of our stuff is undertaken online you know we don't physically need to um, meet with people um, a la a, a restaurant or something like that to to be able to do business um, people are investing online it's, it's all pretty simple from a mm. from a hands off uh, perspective but you know the practical realities beyond that are that you're sort of trying to run a team of people who have different living environments kids at home <laughs> all that sort of stuff um, that worked well for some less well for others um, so just trying to kind of function as a business when in many circumstances people's working environments were not ideal um, and you know sort of particularly in Auckland you um, sort of dropping in and out of lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. It was certainly challenging as a business and I think uh, particularly emotionally for people, I I think, you know, just the uncertainty of it all, um, ultimately the fatigue of it all. I think, you know, keeping people motivated uh, and trucking forward through, was a pretty challenging sort of 18, 24 months, whatever it was. I think, you know, that's that's certainly obviously not a unique snowball experience whatsoever. That was kind of, to some extent, your run of the world at some point. Um, but, you know, that was a, a tough period to, to get through for a whole host of different reasons. I think sort of now sort of moving into uh, a more recessionary time, um, you know, we had to, to look at the way we operated last year when markets came off. So sort of start of the year... Um, public markets came off in a, in a fairly major way that impacted our business um, mm. the way we the way we ran uh, sort of expectations between companies and investors uh, as far as valuations all that sort of stuff and um, you know they don't correct overnight it's a bit like mm. people expectations around what their homes worth um, it can take a, a little bit of time for them to realize that 250 K or what has been knocked off the the value off their home um, from six months ago. Um, so, same thing for businesses, you know, they kind of take a step back and, and in many cases, kind of hope that the world's going to be better in six months' time, um, and it's not. So, yeah, that that for us um, caused a, a reasonable amount of disruption over the last year. Um, we kind of had investors stepping back, companies wanting to raise, but probably not being as realistic as they needed to be. I think that's kind of changed now um, and a sort of a a, a resetting of the market uh, in terms of valuations, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, sort of moving from, you know, that kind of COVID, don't know what your working environment's going to be, sort of one week to the next to some degree to sort of a cooling of the markets, which had to happen and I think ultimately a good thing. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's sort of not a, not a sudden jolt, but it's sort of a continuation of of having to sort of evolve your business as you kind of work through it. Hmm.
0: Last question. If, what would you say to someone out there, founder, entrepreneur, business owner, what advice would you give them right now who they're thinking about raising capital?
1: Uh, I think, don't underestimate how long it can take to, to raise capital. Um, I think planning for it to to take, you know, nine to 12 months, um, that would be a starting point. Um, you'd want to get it ideally wrapped up well in advance for them, but sort of plan for that sort of thing. Um, it can take, it depends on who you're talking to and the path you're taking. Um, we certainly like to get things done a lot faster than that, but... You know, you sort of want to plan for the worst, don't you? So, planning for something like that um, would be a, a decent starting point. I think that's probably the the thing that everyone at some point realises for the first time is that that capital raising is a is a full time job. Um, if you're in a high growth business, you're sort of always raising capital. Um, if you're not actually bringing in money, you're sort of having conversations with people that. You might be talking to in six months time 12 months time for the next round um so you don't don't underestimate how long it takes and and how much time gets consumed by it
0: that's epic advice thank you so much I, do, I really do appreciate your time bang on two o'clock so <laughs> I, I, know nice. you, <laughs> I i know you've got got things to do so i do really do appreciate your time you're going to be up at, or down i should say it's mini growth in wellington in july you and your team i appreciate that um, thank you so much for your time this has been a really cool conversation and I really appreciate all your knowledge and insights
1: Oh, I'm glad, um, I'm glad you invited me to come on um, it's cool to be part of it and look forward to meeting up down in Wellington hopefully with a few of the listeners as well um, yep. cool, to, cool to meet a few of you um, and um, yeah enjoyed the conversation and hopefully useful for a few people that have been listening in
0: thank you so much for tuning into to this podcast we really do hope it added a whole bunch of value for you and you have a better understanding of VC funding where to get it, who can get it, and why you potentially won't get it. Simeon and his crew, like I've said, are going to be down at Sweeney Growth in Wellington in July, coming up in 31 days. If you're not already grabbed your ticket, you should grab one soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time listening all the way through to the end here. Kia ora.